why, if God's got all these love notes to the fatherless and their mothers in the Bible, in Scripture, how come nobody would just take me, that little Brian, alongside and say, hey, I want to show you how important you are to God, to Father. Mm. This is part of your identity. This is part of your hope because God has a special place in his heart for you and mm. special plans for your life. And that needs to be shared in a gentle and loving way, I think, one-on-one with young kids in that situation. God is a father to the fatherless. 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 Welcome to the Help I'm Raising Fatherless Kids podcast. I'm your host, Lori Apon. And one of the blessings of this podcast is that we cover a variety of topics. If you're new to listening, I would encourage you to go back. We may list some of the assortment that we have, but some of my very favorites are when I have the opportunity to talk with men and women who did grow up fatherless. And moms, those of you who are new raising fatherless children, you hear all the statistics. And I know they're daunting and they're overwhelming, especially if you're starting your journey. And that's why I'm bringing on men and women who have a testimony of God's faithfulness. And I'm super excited today to introduce you to Brian Johnson. He's the executive director and founder of Psalm 68.5 Ministries. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. It's good to be with you today. So excited to have you here. Brian and I just met recently when I was curious to know who out there is encouraging the fatherless. And when we came across Psalm 68.5, I felt like we struck gold because of what he is doing with this amazing ministry. And Brian, I'll let you talk more about that towards the end. But let's start first, if you don't mind sharing your story of when and how you became fatherless. When did that journey start for you? Our fatherlessness, uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but it started somewhat when my father left our family to have a tour of duty in Vietnam in 1964. He was a young army captain. It was back before we were actually in the war. He was an advisor. It was called a MACB advisor in Vietnam. And uh, while there, he was a month away from coming back home when a uh, a base that was being constructed by the military was overrun by the Viet Cong Army. And he was the closest base to them. And he was asked by his commanding officers to lead two helicopters in to try to rescue any survivors from that overrun base, uh, recover any bodies, or just assess the situation and his lead helicopter as it was coming into that location took heavy fire and enough fire or explosives that it brought his helicopter down in a violent crash Mm. and uh, all on board his helicopter died except for him he survived the crash Mm. he made radio contact with a following helicopter they tried to rescue him but could not get close because of all the enemy fire they had to go back to their base the last they knew he was alive on the ground and in uh that's 1965 june 10th 1965 so that's really that's the date he became missing and that's the date 
that we no longer had any contact at all with our father. Oh, wow. And then to continue on past that, there were two of us boys, my brother, who was a year older than I, he was five, I was four, and my sister, Colleen, was two at the time. And we thought for sure, I think as even as kids, it's, you know, it's hard to know what's going on, but that we'd hear something any day about, you know, was he a prisoner of war? What happened to him? And there was just no word that they, they, they came in after that, his helicopter down, they found his helicopter, but there was no sign of him. Hmm. There were no remains. There was no sign. At some point later, there was some note put in the file about a captured tall American again, that somehow got into his file and it made it seem like there was more possibility that it became a prisoner of war. Mm. The Viet Cong did not adhere to Geneva conventions on information regarding prisoners of war. So we had no word whether he was a prisoner or not. And the months turned into years and just no word, no word at all, trying to find word about um, whether he was alive. So we grew up fatherless, but not knowing, you know, the fate of our father. We just hoped against hoped and prayed that he would someday come back and, you know, had confidence that he would. Um, I think you have to have confidence or mm-hmm. hope mm-hmm. You know, during times like that. Mm-hmm. But um, finally, when I was probably about 11 or 12, the war ended and the POWs then were released and people still didn't know who was in the camps at that time. It wasn't until they got off the planes in Germany from being released by the Viet Cong army that people found out who was prisoner of war in many cases. And so um, regretfully, uh, I remember the day when we were all waiting mm-hmm. uh, commanding officer from a local base was there and and uh, the names kept coming but he was not among the names mm. and later they uh, they debriefed the uh, prisoners of war that did come back they asked a list of names of people that were missing that they thought maybe were prisoners of war and none of those prisoners had heard of my father and knew of his whereabouts so that foundation of hope you know really cracked significantly right at that time as we were going into our just starting into our teen years Mm. Um, a couple years later probably two years later and I'm 14 or 15 at the time my brother's a little older we got information back a film actually came back from that battle where his helicopter was shot down and it was very close not 100% but very very close to conclusive that he died that day June 10th, 1965. And then finally, when I was 17 in 1978, some 13 years after he became missing, the army declared him presumed dead or killed in action. Wow. Oh, Brian, what a story. And really, you're a little boy for most of this. And so I guess it was your mom that was leading your family to have this hope every day and to pray every day. What did that look like for her to be leading you with hope and you're still growing up without a dad? And this isn't at the time by death, divorce, 
or desertion. This is a dad serving our country. So what was that like as a young boy? Uh, it was, um, I guess, we didn't know anything different. Mm -hmm. uh, we did have hope and, you know, prayed that our dad wasn't being, you know, tortured or whatever in a POW camp or, mm -hmm. you know, looking back, I don't think there could have been any other way but to like have faith and hope that he would come back someday. And for whatever reasons, God's providence, my mother felt like that he would come back, you know, mm -hmm. so we kind of clung to her hope also. Mm -hmm. And um, my father's grandmother, who's kind of this, the spiritual patriarch or matriarch, I should say, of our family, she had a strong faith. And so we, we held on to that. But I think the unusual thing was that, you know, there's a lot of emotion about if your father could be captured somewhere and what's going on with him and what's he thinking now or what's mm -hmm. he doing now. And we're just trying to, uh, we're, sometimes life is on hold. I remember my mother's thinking, oh, what's he going to think when he sees that I bought a sofa or when I made this decision or that decision? Mm -hmm. You know, always kind of having our father in mind. But having to get on with life in some ways, mm -hmm. and they called it limbo back then for a lot of the POW, MIA families, and just there was uncertainty there. But I think that when he did not come back with the POWs, there was a real crack in that foundation of hope. Yet, mm -hmm. because we had believed it for so long and just hoped against hope that he would come back, we really didn't talk about it then. We had all of this, I called it spaghetti inside of emotion and uncertainty and fear and all these emotions. And we weren't able to get those out and sort it. It was still all kind of jumbled. But then as we got into our teen years, you know, that pain and that emotion screamed to be medicated, if you will, or dealt with. Wow, what a story. I'm so sorry. So for your childhood, you're living not even knowing you're fatherless and believing that you're not. And then at some very crucial ages for you and your siblings, you learn the reality. And I imagine that's when you started to grieve the loss of your dad, even though you've not had him for the majority of your life. I've not heard that term limbo. I can see that that's a reality or what you experienced. And I imagine, mom, some of you out there listening, this isn't your story, but you can probably relate to somewhat of an emotional limbo where in the early stages of grief, you're holding on to this hope that this isn't my story. <laughs> it's called denial and shock. But then not wanting to move forward is a real thing sometimes you know we want our husbands to be there for those decisions and i know i've even heard some moms like is it okay that i buy a couch as you said you know so i think emotional limbo is also something that moms working through that grief process experience so brian how did you wrestle with the loss of your dad over time i know um, boys tend to be quieter about their grief, at least from my observation. I've also seen that children don't always have the maturity to even begin to process grief. So 
do you mind sharing? I know yeah. we're talking about some tender things, but how did wrestling look for you? So, and again, I, I can speak for myself, but I think that there's some commonality in, in what happened is one is that over time, there's a kind of a shame that develops about not having a father. And it doesn't matter whether the father left the family voluntarily or just had mental illness or drug abuse or however, but they're gone. And there's a feeling like, you know, somehow a father is supposed to complete us. And we don't think we think this consciously, go back and you know, I don't know how to do all the things that guys or men should know how to do. I, I wasn't completed in some of those areas. I'm inadequate in in ways that I always, in my mind, there's this picture of some father with his son by his side, or maybe it's a daughter, and the son has a question. He whispers up to the dad, and the dad whispers back down, and then the, the boy whispers back up, right, dad? And the, the man says, right, son. And it's like some kind of magic happened there. Some kind of like yes, something passed back and forth, which allowed that son to have approval and yes. sense of adequacy and had what it took. And again, you're not conscious of that, but it's this, it's a shame that makes us feel like somehow we're not adequate, we're not complete. And we don't even know why, but I can share a story. Uh, I think it exemplifies what can happen. So when I was 13 or 14, somewhere around there, I don't know the exact age. You know, again, I, I had all of these feelings of insecurity, of inadequacy growing up. Did I have what it took to be a man? What does that even mean? I didn't have a lot of role models in my life. Mm. Maybe they thought since my dad was POW or, or MIA that who's to come in and take that spot? Mm -hmm. And honestly, you know, it takes pretty special mentors mm -hmm. to find somebody who can really impact a young man like that. So I didn't have that. But uh, I remember one summer, my grandfather asked me to help on a big farm project. And this was like, this was the biggest thing he'd ever asked me to do mm -hmm. to help mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. And um, he was going to get another kid from a farm a little ways away. And he was going to help. And we were going to take down the corrugated tin roof of an old hundred-year-old barn and put up galvanized steel mm. roof up there and all these kind of tools that I'd never worked with and hammers and things and way up high and galvanized nails with neoprene washers. I remember it very clearly. And mm. we were going to make money. I was going to, you know, I was going to earn money, you know, for summers with friends. That was going to be a big deal. And uh, so I, I can't remember how long it lasted. I'm thinking it was at least a week, maybe 10 days, maybe 12 days that we worked really hard. And, you know, the dust from a hundred year old barn with all that, hay it just gets in every, mm -hmm. everywhere. And, you know, afterwards, I felt really good about it. We got the job done. How old were you at this time? Brian? I think I was 13, 14, okay. might have been 15, but I think it was like around 14. So that that coming of age, right? I'm right. Yeah, at, early teenage. Uh-huh. You know, kind of the crossover into manhood time. So we're done. We go into the farm kitchen. And, you know, I, I don't even know how much money we're going to make. 
you know, I don't, I didn't know enough to even ask that or question, mm-hmm. but we were just gonna, it was a big job. Mm-hmm. And so the other guy who was about a year older than me, you know, he goes up to the table. My grandfather's got his half glasses on. He's kind of got his checkbook out. And uh, I remember the, the table, you know, and all that. And he writes him a check. And it was like, in my mind, it was like $120. And I thought, I'm standing over there. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, $120. Right. Like, wow, something back in the 70s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a lot of fun. So now it's my turn. And I come up to the table. And my grandfather's there and looks up. And he writes me a check for Brian Johnson, $60. Mm. And wow. all of that pent up uncertainty Mm. about whether I had what it took to be a man, all of that, you know, incompleteness, all of that Mm. unsureness, all of that. It was like my worst fears were validated. I had to run out of the Mm. the kitchen as fast as I could, because I knew it was all just going to explode. And it wasn't, here's the offense and here's the reaction. The reaction was all this built up uncertainty. And so I went out and I, I just, uh, I don't remember ever weeping that hard as a child. And I heard my grandmother as I'm kind of going, Grandpa, you know, you pay Brian what you paid the other kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, that that's not hell. That's not what I'm, that's not why I'm leaving here. Because yeah. that, it was that opportunity to be blessed from childhood to manhood, mm-hmm. but not receiving that. In fact, kind of receiving the opposite. Mm-hmm. And I remember that somewhere in my soul, there was that was wounding was kind of like, hey, I, I made a vow. And I, I realized this much later in life, but I made a vow. Hey, I can't show up like this to others. It's too painful, right? I've got mm-hmm. to hide. I've got to kind of mm-hmm. put a mask. I either have to not try to do any of these things so they won't see how inadequate mm-hmm. or incomplete I am. Or if I do them, boy, I got to dot my I's and cross my T's and make sure I do it perfectly. So it's kind of like my, that soul of that young boy went into the wilderness there Mm -hmm. and tried to protect itself. I I do want to say this, you know, my grandfather was from another generation. I lived under his roof in the summer times for a long period of time. I don't think he got up that morning and said, how can I take Brian down? No. He, Mm -hmm. you know, it was probably like in his day, it would be unheard of to pay your own grandkids, right, to mm-hmm. to work on, on a, a roof. But that's not how I took it. You know, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. how I took it was, hey, do I measure up? And I think as kids and we're vulnerable those days, we are more likely to put kind of not necessarily the best spin on things that we would mm-hmm. we would take things possibly negatively. So I, I think that that story kind of just exemplifies all of the, you know, the uncertainty that's there and then how we can kind of have some of that pain then that, that we maybe try to um, medicate later in life or, you know, try to figure out how to get out of that pain or at least wall it off that can come back with, uh, especially with young guys growing up fatherless. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I feel confident any fatherless man that might be listening can identify and can go to a place where they felt they didn't measure up or where they took on this shroud that the enemy so 
readily wants to clothe fatherless men and women in is that you have this shroud of shame. And I can't wait to get to the end because I know that's not how you've lived your life. In fact, God has taken that what was meant for evil and is even using it for good. But it is tender and it is a reality for many. And so moms, you're listening and thinking, oh, I'm going to do everything to keep my son from having that moment. And moms, it really is a trusting God with our children. We do that as moms, even if there is a dad in the home. But when we're raising children without a dad, the good news is we are entrusting our children to God who promises to be a father to the fatherless. And he will restore the souls of our children. And so I don't want you to feel overwhelmed by some of these stories and some of these parts, because I know it would be easy to do that because there is hope. And I know Brian's going to share that hope. But Brian, so you had to obviously at some point forgive your grandfather for something he didn't even intentionally mean to do. But your dad is now really, it was he considered a hero of the war. He gave his life for our country. So I don't know if you had to wrestle through anger, bitterness, forgiveness. Did you work through any of that in any way and aspects of your story? I think there, you know, there was sadness. And I think that, you know, now we work with a lot of youth that are growing up fatherless, right? And that's one of the biggest, what we call one of our big pillars is anger and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That there is a sadness about, hey, how come this doesn't seem fair that I'm growing up with no dad around and all these things? And then, then sometimes as we learn the story of why we're fatherless, that sadness especially in our young teen years, morphs into anger. Mm -hmm. And that anger provides all this negative energy, right? Mm -hmm. And and what we say is that it's a lot of work. It takes energy. If I've got 100% energy Mm -hmm. that I I have that I can use, and every morning I have to go pick up 50-pound weights to carry around, to hold on to that anger, Mm -hmm. who's like losing in this Mm -hmm. situation? that a lot of times that anger is justified, but God doesn't want us to carry that anger long-term. And he doesn't want the night to go over on that anger, really. Mm -hmm. And so what we need to learn to do is to take that anger and just take it to the foot of the cross and say, God, I'm I'm tired of carrying this. Mm -hmm. I don't know what kind of went on in my dad's life or, you know, why I didn't have a dad in this life. I don't, I don't understand all that stuff. I don't know what was going on in his life or, you know, when he was growing up, Mm -hmm. but I'm tired of being the one that has to carry this burden to have anger at that situation or at him or, or whatever the circumstances are. And God says, come to me, you who are heavy laden, burdened, Mm -hmm. and I will give you rest. And it's like, we can take that to the foot of the cross Mm -hmm. and to teach our kids to take that anger to the foot of the cross. And when they let that go, and then that's God's providence to sort all of that out in his kingdom time. And and then we can go and live our life, and choices are going to come upon our path at a young age, a teenage, Mm -hmm. you know, some of these times. And the prayer is that then maybe I won't make a choice out of that pent up, that carried anger Mm -hmm. 
that seems justified, that's a bad choice mm -hmm. that leads to, you know, outcomes I don't want mm -hmm. or that my mother wouldn't want for me. Maybe if I learn how to leave that anger there, then I won't make choices out of that anger later on that will follow me. And I will be able to take all of that energy that God has given me and I can use it for more positive purposes rather than to holding on to this negative anger. I think for my situation, and uh, again, I was, I was like, you know, one of the lucky ones, right? I didn't have something I could hold necessarily against my father. I guess it's like, why would you take a chance of going in on that helicopter when you've got three kids back home? You know, I, that right. went through my mind. You know, you were a month away from coming home. Why, why couldn't you call in sick that day? Right. But I, I do recognize the sadness and the anger and, and how that can lead to, to really bad choices. And I think that's a huge matter that needs to be addressed. You know, moms, try not to have your kids hold on to anger against an ex-spouse or ex-husband mm -hmm. that has abandoned the family, that you have every right in many cases to be totally justified about that anger. But all it does is hurt the ones carrying that anger. And it makes it so much more increased possibility that they will make bad choices out of that mm -hmm. seemingly justifiable anger. That's so true and so wise. You bring in one other aspect of grief. You know, we we feel like there's something that could have been done to have altered the story that we're living. If my dad had just called in sick, he wouldn't have died. And we really have to work through believing that if I had been God, this is not the script I would have written for my life. And that's a surrendering to the sovereignty of God and his wisdom. And he's all-knowing, all-powerful. He is good. He is kind. So sounds like you worked through that. Also, moms, I think he is giving some good insight we model for our children so many things. And so your children are watching you and you may have those roots of bitterness and anger and justified anger. And so how are you dealing with that yourself? Because that will be passed down to our children. And I think we have an opportunity to be proactive in leading our children and forgiveness and how they're going to work through their anger. I know regularly I would ask my children three questions at the end of the day. What made you happy? That was an easy question normally for children because, you know, again, they don't carry grief like we do. So maybe someone took them out for ice cream and they're happy about that. And that's okay. Joy and sorrow run on the same track. And then I would ask them what made you sad. And then we would kind of enter into sharing grief together. And then what made you mad was a question that I would ask. And sometimes I would lead in that. I was just mad that I couldn't fix the whatever around the house. And I'm mad that your dad's not here, you know, so I would not put that on them, but I would just within the suitcase of the heart of the child, what they can carry, but it, it's good to not shove it in a closet because that's what we all want to do that. If we put it in a closet and lock the door, then we can just all pretend this isn't happening. And sorry to tell you, it's going to burst through the door at the most inopportune time. I remember this is really a vulnerable story and then we'll get back to yours, but it was just 
months into my story when uh, my husband had made a sad choice of taking his own life and I had eight children and so life just went on and it was chaotic and crazy and I had was in the kitchen all my kids are around me and I stooped down to get a pot from under the cabinet and the, the door of the upper cabinet was open so I raised up and that door just I hit my head on the door which was a trigger that caused me to bang my head on the cabinet it, because it was just like it was terrible um, but it released all this pent up emotion just the physical pain that I felt in that moment was releasing all the emotional pain it happened one time in a brief moment and made it right with my children it was a wake-up call Lori you've got some things that you've got to deal with that you've been trying to stuff down you know, later, one of my children said, don't you remember when you were always banging your head on the cabinet? I'm like, wait a second. That was a one time experience. But moms, we have to be proactive with our own emotions and the emotions of our children. Oh, so much, Brian. So tell me real quick, I guess let's talk about your mom. Was she a believer and how did she lead you during this time of learning the sad news that your dad really was not coming back. Yes, she was a believer, a strong believer, and as was my father, and that was a, a major comfort mm. um, knowing that. I just remember we went to church often, mm. and um, I mean, church and Sunday school was something that was that was just going to be part of our lives and kind of give us opportunities to understand God's story. Every once in a while, she would try to find a mentor for us. Mm -hmm. We were in Big Brothers for when we got Big Brothers, and they lasted like two visits. Oh, wow. We didn't see them. And they were college kids, and they probably signed up all excited, but then realized, wow, these are kids with real needs and kind of pain in their lives, and, and uh, maybe just more than they could mm -hmm. kind of handle. And that's not to say I think that there are some great mentors out there, but I think moms have to be really discerning. That it's mm -hmm. not like, you know, the next guy that comes across their path and says he wants to be a mentor necessarily would be a good one, that it, mm -hmm. it is through a church community. Um, I do remember, I'll share a story about my brother and I were at an, at an Awanas meeting at one of the churches that we attended as kids. And so there'd be guys there, you know, that are teaching the kids and and maybe we were new to that church. I think we might have still been at the Air Force Base coming into the town, mm -hmm. Salina, Kansas, and we were at this Awana meeting. And so it was not uncommon for somebody to say, now, whose kids are you? You know, trying to figure out who's, mm -hmm. who our father was. And you know, by then we kind of, well, you know, our dad's missing in action in Vietnam. And usually guys would just, oh, I'm sorry. And, you know, they'd kind of awkwardly walk away. Mm -hmm. But one guy said something, and I don't remember it exactly. I don't think my brother does, but something to the effect of, do you know, God has a special place in his heart mm. for kids when they're growing up without their dad around. I love that. And the Holy Spirit, like, all of a sudden, like a tether went down into the ground. Wow. Anchor. And mm. I just remembered that. And I remember that became a part of my vision of who God was mm. and who I was with God. Mm. He didn't share the scripture that kind of like most 
connects with that, which mm-hmm. which I think now as an adult I know is Psalm 68, 5, a father to the fatherless. This mm-hmm. is David prophesying before anybody called God father really back mm-hmm. then before Jesus. Jesus is who told us that we we addressed God as father. But back then mm-hmm. in David's time, he said, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, his God and his holy dwelling. Mm-hmm. It's like Wow, God has a special place inside. He, he loves all. You know, he, he sent his son to die for all, but he does for those who don't have that blessing of having a dad around, for those those moms who are trying to do it alone without a husband around. God wants to be strong in their lives and, and give them that part of their identity is to be protected and defended by this father. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I mean later in years. I learned about there's 44 verses that show God's heart as a defender, as a protector. You better not mess with the fatherless and their mothers. If you do and I hear their cry, my anger will be aroused. Absolutely. It's a good one to share with the service providers coming to do work on your home or whatever. (laughs) Not really, but just to, to know that is truth. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So I think as an adult, and that's part of our ministry is, why, if God's got all these love notes to the fatherless and their mothers in the Bible and scripture, how come nobody would just take me, that little Brian, alongside and say, Hey, I want to show you how important you are to God, to Father. Mm. This is part of your identity. This is part of your hope because God has a special place in his heart for you and mm. special plans for your life. And that needs to be shared in a gentle and loving way, I think, one on one with young kids in that situation. I know that's your mission. And that is my passion as well, just to plant that seed of hope. And it's the best news for a widow and a fatherless child. And to realize that that fruit may not come to fruition till later, but if the seed is not planted, when they're at a vulnerable spot, it could determine the whole course their life takes. So thank you for what you're doing. I I want to know, was it through Awanas that you came to faith? And was it this seed that was planted that altered the course of your whole life? I wish I could say, boy, there was that one day that this <laughs> happened and all that. I think I probably gave my life to Christ multiple, multiple times. I believe that I prayed the sinner's prayer numerous times just in case it didn't catch. And part of that journey was this, and I don't know whether it's connected to fatherlessness or not, but the part where you have salvation through Jesus Christ, and then it's only because of Jesus Christ's righteousness that you then have the right to become children of God, born, you know, not of human desire, husband's will, but born of God, and that that we can come into his presence and be loved by him for whatever reason, I still felt like I had to get my act together. I had to become more Christ-like to be able to enter into the presence of, of God the Father. And so it was kind of over time that, that again, I wish somebody had shared with me at a young age. And, and this is what we do with the prayer journals that, you know, we'll provide you copies of our prayer journals and, and things. But who is that father? A fatherless kid, maybe somebody growing up with a father would think that, you know what, 
the father would be like this. There you go again. I'm disappointed. You messed up again. How many times? Seven times 70. What is that? 490. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. God, don't put me on the shelf. Mm-hmm. That out of that pain, as a young age, especially a teenager, I'm a more propensity to get involved with alcohol, drugs, pornography, all those kind of things, young guys would, and maybe young ladies too, because they're not like wanting to be bad kids. They're just like, I've got so much pain and these things seem like they promise some kind of soothing or medication from the pain, right? They kind of numb it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's only the healing that comes with the relationship that Jesus Christ can can help on that pain side. But when I learned finally that, wait a second, Jesus in the story of the prodigal son, and like, I'm like the prodigal son maybe, right? And that's Mm -hmm. what I focus on all the time. I think the more important part of that is that Jesus is saying, hey, you may think you know what our heavenly father is like, but I'm telling you, here's what he's like. He's like this father that when we arise to return to our father from the pigsties of life, our father is looking for us. And when he sees us, he runs to us, mm-hmm. to hug us and embrace us and restore us to sonship. And not because, again, of what we did, but because of his character and because we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. And that's the father who, who loved us so much that he sent his son to save us. And so um, a lot of people may be saying, well, of course, that's the character of the father. But I think there are still a lot of people out there and and maybe even fatherless kids who feel like they have to get right. They have to be good enough Mm -hmm. to have that relationship with that heavenly father. But it's when I feel like the love and I can crawl on his lap, Mm -hmm. Jesus says, unless we turn and become like little children, we shall not enter the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, and until I can spend that time with that Heavenly Father and know who He is, I don't really have the power to live out of obedience to Christ and live in a Christ-like manner. I love that. I love that. I think fear, rejection, abandonment is, again, Satan's scheme to keep repeating that and to lie to us. For me, I do believe that The Lord chose me to be his child when I was around eight years old. But like you, I have prayed that prayer so many times out of fear that maybe I didn't pray it right. I can't even remember praying a prayer. So Satan has really used that against me. How can you be saved when you don't even remember your prayer? Are you sure you really knew that you were confessing all your sins? And and so this terrible cycle that he wants me to live in until... I really nailed it down. Not that Satan doesn't try, but with Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It's not your own prayer. It's not praying the prayer. It's not understanding it all. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And he chose us before the foundation of the world. And that's a whole nother topic, but I love that picture that you share of the father of the prodigal son. And if we could all just experience the embrace of God, mom, and for your children, that you would lead them and encourage them that God is not going to reject them. He is 
for us and not against us. And yeah, I love the prayer journal and I love what you teach these young people in your camps, the heart of the father. So I think this is a good time for you to tell us about your camps. Uh, When I saw your website and saw what you were doing, I was like, oh, Perspective Ministries somehow wants to be a part of this. If there's ever a camp to send a child to, Psalm 68.5 is the camp. So tell us all about it, please. Sure. Well, um, again, in God's providence, you know, he blessed businesses that I was involved with in my later years. And, and I knew that I knew that he blessed us to be a blessing. So we'd sold those businesses. And as part of that sale of the business, we wanted to take funds to send kids growing up like I grew up and like my brother and my sister grew up and be able to send them to camp, Christian camp in the summer, full scholarship for them. Mm. And we started doing that. And at first, God put on my heart, hey, 100 kids a year for 10 years. And I thought, okay, that's it. But the more I got into it, the more I realized, you know, wait a second, you know, some of these seeds that were planted on my path, on my hard soil that God allowed to take root, some of these seeds of scripture and things that come to identity and unconditional love of the Father and all these things that are so important. You know, it's great for that kid to have a fun week at camp and it's a Christian camp, whatever, but what if we could plant seeds that God speaks specifically to them, that spoke specifically to me about who I am in Christ and how I have this incredible relationship as a son or a daughter of the true father. Mm-hmm. What if we could take that and, and our little seed packet, if you will, and plant that mm-hmm. with these kids in a really loving way? So we looked out in Christendom, and in spite of there being this command, if you will, by James, Jesus' half-brother, who says, pure and undefiled religion before God our Father is this, to come Mm -hmm. alongside or to help the fatherless and their mothers in their distress, in their trouble, and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Well, that's a direction to the church. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd think that there'd be all of these materials and resources in Christendom on how to come alongside. And, you know, Jesus saw needs, and sometimes they were immediate needs, but he wanted to address the deeper spiritual need when he did healings and things, right? And that's kind of like, okay, they could have fun at camp, but let's plant seeds deep at camp. So, so we started working with a few camps, sending fatherless kids, but also working with Wheaton College, some in their spiritual formation, mm-hmm. theology, outdoor ministries, sociology, you know, all the kind of multidisciplinary. Let's develop resources to come alongside the fatherless and increasingly their mothers. You know, we have a lot of single mom family camps that we kind of are involved with too, where the, the whole family comes in and it's ministered to. That started. I don't know, 15 years ago. And then some people started contributing to this cause to want to send fatherless kids to camps and not just any camp, but camps that are intentional about working with kids growing up without dads around. And so that allowed us to do a lot more. You know, if we started out at 100 kids per year, and last year we did 700 kids full scholarships just that year alone. And we're amazing. Pace to do that again in 
this year. And there's right now there's about 20 camps that we work with across the U.S. We don't have a camp per se. We don't have a, like a location, okay. but we partner with camps mm. that will be intentional about that, who will come alongside and do a prayer journal with these children and on a one-on-one with a college kid, Christian, mm. sitting down with that son or daughter to plant these seeds of identity, of hope, of unconditional love, of healing from anger and forgiveness, those things at that camp. And we'll just continue to uh, speak out on behalf of the fatherless and their mothers as often as we can, as often as God gives us a platform like your show today. I thank you for that. Well, thank you, Brian, for what you're doing. It makes my heart sing. I absolutely love the concept of a seed packet and Perspective Ministries wants to do anything we can to be a part of getting those seed packets to the kids and to their moms because it will change their life. Perspective Ministries believes in the power of perspective. And you, if you haven't heard my story before, Psalm 68.5 is the anchor that I held on to every single day. And God has been true to his word and he has kept his promise. So thank you for that. We have run out of time. I know I try to keep these episodes short, but there's just no way to keep conversations like this short. We could go a whole nother hour, but you've said many things that would encourage a fatherless child. But if there's any last closing thoughts on how you would encourage them and how you would encourage moms that are raising kids without a dad. Well, I would say that it is true that God is a father to the fatherless. He is a defender of your mother. And he wants a relationship to where through Jesus Christ and his bloodshed on the cross that you are and that you know that you know that you are a true son, true daughter of that father. And it says so often, even Jesus said, Abba, Father, Mm -hmm. all things are possible with you. So he is our Abba, Father. That means daddy, daddy, father. So at 61 years old in the morning, I still go crawl up on my father's lap. I feel his loving arms around me. I spend time in his word mm-hmm. and, and read the messages that he gave to his son, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that hope and that, that knowing of who I am in him. And it's out of that relationship then that I can go out and live in obedience and in, for his glory and for his honor only, and be about his family, mm-hmm. kingdom, business. And I get to be a part of that. And it's such a privilege and an honor. I can tell you today, being in that position, God has redeemed all of those years mm-hmm. that seemed like they were just lost, that seemed like maybe that was like, what's the meaning of this or what's the purpose? But I could not be here today with you, Lori. I could not be with your moms. I couldn't be with those kids today if God hadn't allowed in his providence for that to occur. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this life here is just a whisper. It's just a snap of a finger compared to eternity with God. So, yes, there was some pain, but now there is joy. There is purpose in living into this family kingdom, you know, to God be the glory for that. And I'm I'm thankful that he has this purpose for me in this time of my life. And 
that the kids can realize this purpose also through Jesus Christ, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. It's a beautiful story. And thank you for sharing it. It does give hope to moms and to kids who are maybe right in the middle of their story right now, but it's not over. Would you be willing to close us in a prayer of blessing for these moms and these kids? Yes, thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to speak on behalf of the fatherless and their mothers, especially when they're in distress and in trouble, and uh, to proclaim to your church that they should seek and look for opportunity to come alongside them. But Lord, that, uh, that you provided me that great mentor of the Holy Spirit to shine light on your word, your truth, of that hope that you have in all of those scriptures that address children that are growing up without their dad around and with their mothers and the, uh, the unconditional love, the unconditional love that you have through them when they've just accepted that free gift of salvation that comes through Christ and what he did on the cross. I pray, Lord, that you would lead their paths to that. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to, uh, to learn to let go of the anger mm-hmm. that, um, that can entangle and the anger that can cause us to make choices and to take up so much of the energy that, that could otherwise be used for good to take that to the foot of the cross, to not bury it, not to put it in a closet, but even if I have to do it or we have to do it on a daily basis to take that anger to the foot of the cross and and Jesus says, I will take that burden. That burden belongs to me. You can walk more freely as sons and daughters of the true Father by leaving that anger here. Lord, I pray so much that, um, that seeds planted in their lives, the Holy Spirit would cause to grow and that there would be others that come alongside and water and fertilize those seeds. Lord, that uh, some of these children would find godly, good mentors mm-hmm. in their lives to speak truth and to come alongside them, to teach them things. And Lord, I just I, I pray that um, that you would show and confirm in their spirits that they truly are, whether it's the moms or the kids, that they are sons and daughters of this loving father who just wants to wrap his arms around them. Thank you for all these things in the powerful, holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Brian. It's just been my honor and blessing to have you on the podcast today. And moms, I feel confident that a seed of hope was planted in your heart today. And we would love to hear that. Please take a few minutes to give us some feedback with a review that does help other moms. And please share this. Encourage your sons and your daughters to listen to this testimony. Revelation says we will defeat the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. God is at work and he is using everything in your life for your good and his glory.